Decoding Life with Ryan Blake. Stay raw, stay real, stay vulnerable, stay authentic. The time is now. Hello and welcome to Decoding Life, where we take philosophies from all around the world and distill them into handy hints for your everyday life. We are currently recording the Movember sessions. What does that mean? We are raising money for Movember, which is a charity that helps with men's health, uh, cancers and various other ailments. Please sponsor us. The details are in the show notes. But if you just want to go on movember.co.uk and search for Ryan Blake, I'm the guy that looks like Blofeld's illegitimate love child. Please sponsor us. And every time a new person sponsors us, we will add another episode and we will keep recording Decoding Life until we run out of sponsors. So today we are going to be covering something called Amor Fati. What's that? That means the love of fate in Latin. Now, Nietzsche, who wrote in his book Eki Homo, once said, My formula for human greatness in a human being is amor fati. So there's a lot to unpack there already in just that one line. So how do we sum up amor fati? Nietzsche said it best. One must want nothing to be different. Not forward, not backward, not in all eternity. Not only bear what is necessary, but to love it. Amor Fati. Amor Fati is a resolute and enthusiastic acceptance of everything that happens in one's life. Now, this is for good or for ill. We accept everything that happens with strength, gratitude and enthusiastic affection. Again, that sounds pretty tough and somewhat counterintuitive, but we'll go into more detail. Part of this is a refusal to regret, retain or attach to the past. This in itself, according to Nietzsche, is a virtue. Now, he's not saying we forget the lessons of history and he's not saying we forget our past or we, you know, delete our memories as best we can. He's not saying that at all. He's saying we do not attach ourselves to it. We do not live in the past and we don't regret the things that have happened to us. Now, we develop this further in his book, The Gay Science, which is nothing to do with sexuality. He means gay in the sense of happy. Remember, he was writing um, in the uh, 1900s, 1800s, rather. And he wrote this book and developed the philosophy of Amor Fati whilst he was going through very hard times. By this, his career was failing. He had left academia. He had a number of spectacularly unsuccessful relationships and he essentially had to beg his friends for money and his family for money so his life was filled with regret at this point and he wanted to develop a system of dealing with this not deliberately obviously uh, this is him learning through his experience as we all must so he sought specifically to see as beautiful all the things that are necessary in all things and by this he means that which is necessary in life, be it good or ill, all the things that happen, and regardless of whether you like them or not, or want them or would seek them out, he wanted to see the beauty in them. He believed and concluded that he will then become someone who makes things beautiful because he can see that beauty. So this isn't a war on what's ugly or accusing people or even accusing those who are accusers, he once put it. He wanted to be overwhelmingly positive in his life, to be a yes-sayer, as he roughly put it. 
he came to the conclusion that most of the time we take stock of our errors and the vicissitudes of fate, be they cruel or, or kind, and we regret and we lament them. We pour over them and we think over them in the middle of the night. We're up at 4am going, oh, if only this had happened. If only I'd said this. If only I'd done this. Regret. We critically wish things could have gone differently a lot of the time. And so we are by nature mighty opponents of anything that smacks of resignation or fatalism. We consider this idea of surrender to be cowardly. But in fact, it's incredibly brave and we'll come on to exactly why that is. We want to alter and improve everything from ourselves to politics, economics, history. Obviously, that's going on quite a lot in our world at the moment. Um, as of this recording, the American election is still undecided. So a lot of people are anxious about that all across the world. And this refusal that we have to be passive about errors and injustices and the ugliness in our own collective past and our own personal past is what causes this issue okay anxiety essentially and we'll definitely come on to that more later now a lot of people who are familiar with Nietzsche might say this is contradictory to some of his other philosophies and it is deliberately so he wrote famously Willi Macht, The Will to Power another one of his books and he talks in this about the vitality and the conquest of obstacles about having determination and drive and just fighting back against all the things we just talked about. And we have to go a little bit deeper here. Now, most of us, we contradict ourselves a lot. You know, we have one idea, then another. In order to lead a good life, Nietzsche posited that we need to keep in mind many opposing ideas and use them when needed. It's not consistency that's key, but the ideas themselves that can heal our wounds, make us feel better, make us live a better life. It's not about choosing between glorious fatalism and this will to succeed. It's, you know, it's not a choice between, you know, space shuttles and being a caveman or anything like that. Okay. It's not even a battle between traditionalism and looking to the future. Either is useful depending on the equation. That's the point. You utilize your mental toolkit and going by Nietzsche's ideology and many ideologies, our mental toolkit should have many ideas. We should have a scalpel as well as a saw. Yeah, this is not just a matter of having a one single brute approach to things. A lot of the issues in the world are people see things one way and they do not flex their mental muscles. They do not have the wisdom um, to well, not just change their mind, but have more than one thought going on in their mind. And again, we see this, you know, liberals versus conservatives, etc., etc. Extremism is born from having only one idea and sticking to it no matter what. We can be driven by will and acceptance so that we aren't wasting time fighting inevitabilities. And of course, as I said earlier, Nietzsche went through this period of self-rebuilding and was filled with regret a lot of the time. So he saw and experienced the destructive qualities that every human being has. And thus he developed a more fatty, the love of fate. And so if we can do this, if we can accept everything that happens, whether we want it to happen or not, it will cause a sensation of invalid guilt and self-recrimination and quietens your mind, which is quite a Buddhist ideology as well. This idea of a quiet mind where 
strangely enough, it, we can hear ourselves think our mind isn't just chattering away all the time. And a lot of this is guilt, self-recrimination, anxiety. The troubled spirit, as it were, is soothed when you accept the things that happen to you. And it means realising that what's happened to you in your life could not have been otherwise. And unless you've invented a time machine, there's nothing you can do about them. So you have to move on. You accept what has happened, even if it's a crappy thing, even if it's a glorious thing. Because we are what we are and what we've done, as well as what we are, are inextricably bound together. They are not separate things. We are because of what's happened to us and what we accept and what we deny and what we do about them, those things. They're all bound together. From the very moment we are born, we are essentially powerless to alter our part in a web of coincidences. We don't control the circumstances of our birth. Much of our childhood is very much out of our control. Most of our adult life is completely out of our control. Now, we call it a web of coincidence just as a sort of shorthand of things that are beyond our control. Now, this means in turn, everything that went wrong and everything we perceive as going right are also the same thing. They're also as one. We accept both in the same breath. Okay, we do not glorify one and hold one up as better than the other, even though obviously one will be obviously more enjoyable. We take them as one thing, life. We accept life. And this means, by extension, we have to stop destructively hoping for things that could have been or we consider should have been otherwise. Okay, this is a destructive form of hope. Hope usually is a wonderful thing. It spurs you on, it lifts you up. But there is a destructive form of hope and that is hoping things could have been better. Okay, it's another form of regret and anxiety. We are thrust into the world and headed towards both joy and catastrophe equally right from the very start of our lives it's important to remember we have tears that come from both grief and joy okay the tears are just the membrane through which that emotion is carried life if you like is just the membrane through which joy and sorrow travel through so we have to say yes overwhelmingly to all things in life horror awesome beauty everything the reason we don't always do this is because we have an attachment to outcome. Now, Nietzsche did not agree with Stoicism as a rule. He, he, he rejected it. But they have a lot in common when it comes to Amor Fati. The Stoic Epictetus, who I've mentioned before, says we have to remove desire and aversion regarding things we can't control. He said, and I quote, If you desire any of the things which are not in your control you must necessarily be disappointed. And of those things which are, and which it would be laudable to desire, nothing is yet in your possession. Use only the appropriate actions of pursuit and avoidance, and even these lightly, and with gentleness and reservation. Okay? You are going to be let down by life, but you're also going to be lifted up by life. So don't get attached to these ideas that all these things that happen, that are out of your control, you've got to let them go because you are going to be let down. And when you can control things, and when it, when it is something that you should desire, when it's laudable to desire it, these things aren't in your possession yet. Okay? You have to be appropriate in your actions. You do not lament things that you couldn't control, and you do not overly pursue things you can control. Gentleness and reservation. Now, this is easier said than done, of course. And any excessive worrying we do about the future 
is anxiety, both long and short term. It's as simple as that. Worrying about the future is what makes you anxious. And there aren't really many elements in the future or of the future that are in your control. The future is out of your control. It's best to just think of it like that for the most part. The big things are going to happen no matter what. And this means, though, that there is tremendous freedom and power in being able to accept all the things that happen. Nietzsche said, all idealism is falseness in the face of necessity. Certain things are going to happen and you can have all the ideals you want. But the moment something happens that you don't expect, there's no spot, there's no sense crying over it or lamenting over it or just dwelling on it. Because we look for enhancement, you know, things to make life better and we try to avoid things getting worse in our lives. Of course we do. Simple logic and part of just human survival. But, and this is critical, these external factors such as wealth and even to an extent health aren't needed to be happy. Which is good because we don't always control them. A lot of the time we don't. I, for example, have had a chronic illness since I was a kid. I could not control that. I didn't do anything to put myself in a position to get it. It was not avoidable. And it would be very easy for me to have lamented and complained my whole life about that. It wouldn't have made any odds. It wouldn't have changed anything. But dwelling on such things and amor fati is exactly the, this is exactly the kind of thing that Nietzsche was talking about. External factors are unreliable sources of happiness. You can lose your money. You know, for example, even relationships to an extent are unreliable sources of happiness because they can end. The general, the Stoic general Stenica said, these are the spear thrusts of fortune. Sometimes you hit the target, sometimes the spear hits you. You don't know. Anything external other than your own peace of mind and your own moral virtue are unreliable. Which is not to say you shouldn't embrace other people and be sociable and love people. Of course not. But do not make them your un- your sole source of happiness so how do we put this into sort of practical application well let's do a mental experiment let's say you're split into two beings there's the sort of anxious you and the stoic slash Nietzschean you okay and you're working for a company and I've been there and I'm sure a lot of people listening have been there especially in this day and age you work for a company that's laying off staff and you're in a relationship of any kind, doesn't matter what kind, and that's for some reason on shaky ground at the moment. And at the same time you find this out, your doctor tells you that you may have a chronic illness. Now, these are perceived to be significant obstacles that may cause a drastic life change. So the anxious you starts to worry. And the human mind has this sort of inherent spectrum in it of desire and aversion, shall we say. We have pleasure and infatuation, you know, the things that we try to pursue, the things that we say we enjoy, or we do enjoy, you know, good times. And equally, there are, is on the other end of the spectrum pain and despair, the things we try to, you know, we're averse to, things we try to avoid. Now, critically, once embracing Amor Fati as a philosophy, we realise life goes on equally with both of these. And we welcome them and let them go with equal grace and dignity. And the critical thing is, no matter where you are in life, you have one tool to work with, and that's the present moment. Okay, 
you are never going to be anywhere else except in your head. The past tempts us, the future scares us, and we get caught in this perceived vast and terrible in-between. And you will miss things. You'll miss good things as well as bad things. But the thing is, they're still going to affect you either way. You are in a bad place when you're not right here, right now. So in this mental experiment, you can usually say you're reverse to the situation. You know, you don't want these things to change your life particularly. You might worry about your job, if it's a marriage, relationship, divorce. You might worry about your sickness. How am I going to pay the bills? Now, some of these things you can do something about and some you cannot. Seneca also said, never will there be a shortage of reasons for anxiety. Okay? Reasons being perhaps the most important word there. Fear of the future is usually far worse than the actual future. Okay, I've been told about several times about my illness. I was in a coma not too long ago and I had to sort of relearn to walk, regain my health. I could have dwelled on that and it would have taken far longer to recover. So Seneca also posited this idea that we can prepare ourselves for hardship through controlled exposure. He, he basically said, he basically invented exposure therapy, you know, a thousand odd years early. The soul should toughen itself beforehand for occasions of greater stress. Now this means, you know, maybe going about food for a while or, or, or he would do things like sleeping rough. Some of these were quite extreme in context, but Seneca, remember, was a military man, a general, and so he believed in going to these extremes just to toughen yourself. Um, there have been kings, I think Edward the Confessor, poison was the assassination tool of his day. So he took a little bit of poison every day, made himself a little bit sicker every day until he was basically immune to poison. And this meant that he couldn't be killed. So he went through a little bit of hardship to prevent greater hardship, potentially. So what's the underlying truth of this? It's that at the end of the day, your future is not entirely in your control. And that's the problem of anxiety as well. The anxious you is a control freak and cannot handle insecurity. The anxious mind cannot figure out what the future will bring. So it gets scared and it trouble and it ends up with a troubled mind and that can affect your health mentally and physically but in this experiment the stoic you embraces fate and says no matter what life's going to happen and i'm going to accept that i'm going to let it in and i'm going to let it out again the other side and this does not mean you sit on your backside and let life happen or let life pass you by absolutely not it means this you make the best out of every moment. You work towards your goals. But when results don't go your way or something unexpected happens or something terrible happens even, you do not fret. And the same is true if something wonderful happens. You fully embrace and you accept what happens and you don't cry over spilt milk and nor do you lose your dignity overly celebrating when something goes right. Again, Epictetus said, don't demand that things happen as you wish, but wish that they happen as they do happen and you will go on well. He's basically saying, life happens. Don't make demands of it. Do your best and just be happy with how things are. And if you do that, your life will go immeasurably well because you will have virtue and inner peace and a quiet mind. And if you like a sort of form of true happiness or tranquility would probably be a better word.
So, you know, if you keep your job in this experiment, great. If you lose it, you make the best of it. And be aware that other opportunities will prevent themselves, present themselves. Or that now you can make these opportunities. You may end up with a better job. If you are healthy, great. But if you're ill, you can make the best of it. You work with it and you adapt. Many people in this situation inspire others across the world. You know, we've had lots of stories about people. I mean, look at Christopher Reeve. He inspired a huge amount of people when he was paralysed. And again, Amor Fati, a great example of Amor Fati there. He made the best of a, an awful situation. With the relationship, if your partner stays, great. If they leave, then you can concentrate on yourself or find a more suitable partner or perhaps you're better off as friends. You look for the best possible opportunity through this adversity you embrace whatever happens amor fati means you put yourself in a position essentially where you cannot go wrong because you literally have nothing to worry about which is not to say you lose your humanity it's about mastering your reaction to events mastering not controlling because you let things go they still affect you but you choose the ultimate outcome of that effect you don't waste precious life energy on anxiety. You embrace your destiny and realise there is ultimately nothing to fear because change is opportunity. And you do not give up because you realise everything happens. Not necessarily for a reason, but you can make reason from opportunity. And I'd like to end today's episode with a quote from Rainer Marie Rilke from the poem Go to the Limits of Your Longing. It says simply this, and I think this is a beautiful summation of Amor Fati in its way. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Lovely words there. So thank you very much for listening and uh, hopefully I'll see you again next week. And there will be more episodes of Decoding Life the Movember sessions to come. Remember, just search for Ryan Blake on movember.co.uk um, or go directly to the link that's in the show notes. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Decoding Life. Please like, subscribe and leave a review and also follow our video feed on YouTube, Decoding Life. If you have any comments, questions or topics you would like us to cover, please contact us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook or with the name at Decoding Life One. That's the number one. Or by email decodinglife1 at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are entirely our own and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever which we have been, am now or will be affiliated. With.